As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Midnight on the interstate And I didn't feel so great Until I saw the city Welcome back to Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. Thanks, as always, for everybody for tuning in. My guest today, Brett McLean, the Wild assistant coach, spent the last couple years with the Iowa Wild. As he will tell you on this podcast, journeyman Brett McLean had a great, great hockey career, played in many different leagues, uh, played in, in Switzerland for many, many years, which I absolutely am envious by. He played 385 NHL games with the Blackhawks, Avalanche, and Florida Panthers. He played... Um, 329 games of full five years in the Western Hockey League and 274 games in the AHL and had other stops along the way. So that really helps him relate to a lot of the wild players, especially their young guys, the Nico Sturms of the world, eventually the Matt Boldies, uh, the Connor Juris, Brandon Duhams, a lot of the guys that he had in Iowa and the Monarchs. So we'll talk to him about that and a couple of really cool businesses he owns in Kelowna and who he's living here in the Twin Cities as well. It was pretty funny how I ascertained that on the podcast, uh, which we 
record just the audio, but we're looking at each other on Zoom. So just looking at the blinds of where he was, was exact, I knew exactly where he was coming from. So it's pretty funny. Um, let's see, where are we uh, with this wild team? They've won seven in a row. They've clinched a playoff spot, the earliest they've clinched a playoff spot in a long, long time. Kirill Kaprizov is back on top of that Calder front runner position. He was, he was getting a little hairy there with Jason Robertson, but I think that Kaprizov proved again uh, this last week how good he is. Um, Cam Talbert named second story second star of the week this year, week in the NHL and, and really it wasn't first star because uh, Patrick Marlowe was given the honor because he broke Gordie Howe's games played record um, you know a lot of stuff going on with this team Boldy's tearing up in the AHL Ryan Hartman uh, really took one for the team and signed a really team friendly contract uh, three year extension worth 5.1 million dollars and took about a million a year under value uh, for what his projection was to, because he wanted to be on this team and uh, the Parisi Stern Benino line continues to play well. But the thing I did want to talk about it right at the top of the show is I got off the phone earlier today with um, with Marco Rossi and had an exclusive interview with him overseas. And I'll tell you what, it was an emotional article, emotional uh, interview, and it's an emotional article that we're about to put on The Athletic, but especially the top. I mean, honestly, I almost welled up when he was talking about how he, when he returned back to um, Austria, he had a lot on his mind from a very shocking diagnosis that he got here in Minnesota, where he was t- uh, diagnosed with myocarditis, which is an inflammation of the heart, but told by a doctor that if he had played one more game in the World Junior Championship, that he had such inflammation that his that he could have gone into cardiac arrest and 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 keeled over on the ice while playing. And it was so emotional for him that he returned home and he asked his parents, Claudia and Michael, every single night to sleep in his bedroom because he was scared that he would have a heart attack, that his heart would stop and that he would not wake up the next morning. And it was just, uh, man, it, just listening to the pain in his voice tell this story, it was really, really gut-wrenching to listen to. And I think it just shows you um, that it doesn't matter how healthy you are, how young you are, that the byproduct of having COVID-19 could be very, very serious uh, per, for a professional athlete um, like Marco Rossi. And so in this story, we talk about um, how he had COVID-19 last November, how he had really mild symptoms, but he got exhaustion from it. And it just never went away. And when he wound up in Team Austria, it just never went away. He wasn't practicing every day and it still never went away. And he was playing the games and it never went away. And he still never really thought anything uh, by it until about it until he got to um, Minnesota, underwent his team physical, and they found in his blood work that there were elevated enzymes uh, that, that gave an indication that he could have myocarditis. And then they did follow-up tests where they did imaging of his heart and it was confirmed. And it just really, really was tough for this kid that was so excited to play in training camp with the Wild, to start the season with the Wild, to begin his NHL career. Um, after such a incredible junior career that he had with the Ottawa 67s, where he was named MVP of the league, led the led in scoring, all that stuff, um, he shows up here and is just immediately has the pulled uh, the rug pulled out from under him, and and d- now doesn't only know about what his future was going to be in hockey, but what his life was going to be like. The good news is, is that um, all his tests are going really really well. Last week he went under a series of blood work. Um, where everything looked back to normal. Um, he actually has been given permission where he's allowed to exercise more, but what they're doing is they're just having him take walks and do some mobility, and they're going to s- keep him pretty much um, a- away from strenuous exercise and skating for the next month. And then in the middle of May, his dad has worked it out where he's going to go to a place called, let me see, 
um, Dornburn, uh, Austria, which is like the Olympic Park there. Uh, I guess when the Olympics were in um, in Innsbruck. And uh, he's going to go there to this facility that has what he says are the best doctors in Austria that have helped um, athletes that have had similar heart conditions get back into sports. And he's going to go through a series of tests where he's going to see a cardiologist. He's going to get an MRI. He's going to get a second opinion. And then if all that works out well and he and he reacts well to all the t- those type of tests, then he'll do a stress test, an EKG. And if he's given the all clear, then he'll slowly ramp up his training. And then what's really amazing is that in the midway part of June and until the end of July, his dad has rented an entire ice sheet just for his son to use that he'll be on the ice training with coaches and things like that to get his, get ready for next year's training camp. And what's uh, really amazing about this story and the strength that Marco shows, and we talked to Michael Rossi and his agent Serge Paye as well, is that come September 22nd, when the Wild are tentatively scheduled to start training camp for next season, he'll be off the ice other than those four World Junior Championship games and the one game that he played for Zurich for a year and a half. And yet he is still convinced that he's going to be better and stronger for it and that because of his age and his muscle memory and all that, that he'll he'll not only get his game back, but he'll be the same player, if not better. So just a really, um, you know, incredible story. And I really thank Marco for uh, having that phone conversation with me today. It's been something I've been, uh, you know, waiting for for a long time to talk to him. It, um, he is such a smart, well-spoken player. Um, you know, just like when I always tell you about Nico Sturm, how you forget he's from Germany. I'm on this phone from him with him today, and I'm forgetting that he's even from Austria because his English is so perfect. His his uh, his you know enunciation is the way he speaks, his accent, everything. It was just such an easy interview to do. And so, you know, thanks to Marco, thanks for Serge Paye for arranging it, thanks to his dad for speaking to us as well. Um, so just, uh, I hope you read that article, it'll be up at the athletic by the time that this podcast with is out. Uh, but without further ado, uh, here is wild assistant coach, Brent McLean. And as mentioned, uh, very happy to be joined by the first year assistant coach of the Minnesota wild, Brent McLean, uh, Brett, it's your first year as an assistant coach in the, in the, uh, national hockey league, but you are no stranger to one playing in the NHL, but two coaching, but you've played just about everywhere looking at your, I mean, it's crazy how many leagues that you have played in. Yeah, I, uh, I'm definitely the definition of a journeyman hockey player. That's <laughs> for sure. I was all over the place. And um, actually something I'm very, very proud of and all those different experiences and all those different places I played, people I played for and people I played with, I found I, I draw on those now as a coach every single day. And, uh, you, you know, it's just, uh, first of all, Wild fans should remember you from being in the same division a long time with the Colorado Avalanche and the uh, Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, I saw you with the Florida Panthers as well. It felt, I've talked to you about this last year. It felt like you were good for like a breakaway game against the Wild. Yeah, for whatever reason, I, uh, I got some scoring chances against the Wild. I think I put a couple in, but uh, most <laughs> of them I probably put in the goalie's pads or in the goalie's crest, but at least I would get the chance. What's been the besides? We had Alex Tangay on last week, and besides the obvious of uh, getting on those long bus rides, and you know maybe not having the glamour that you would have at this level compared, to, you know, comparatively in Iowa. What's been the biggest transition for you as a coach to this level? Well, it's amazing, and I've heard this before, and this year because of the COVID and the condensed schedule, but you just don't practice in the national hockey league. Yeah. It's, it's amazing um, how little practice time you actually have. And again, as I mentioned, due to the 
condensed schedule this year. It's probably even less, but uh, even talking to the other coaches, you don't practice that much in a regular year. You, you obviously put a lot of priority on, on rest. And so that's definitely been an adjustment, especially at the American League level where there's so much priority on development of the young players. So you really are making sure you're getting that practice time in, whereas up here you're more looking to make sure the players are rested for the games. But uh, there's just so little time to get those practice reps in here. And as Dean Evison has mentioned a ton, you guys have done a lot of coaching through video, which is even that is abnormal in today's day and age because of all the safety protocols because of the virus, right? Yeah, there's obviously all of those things that we try to keep in the forefront of our mind to make sure everybody's staying safe. But um, at the same time, you obviously we've got a, uh, we've got uh, very important jobs to make sure that the players are ready for each and every game. And, and we've got to make sure that they're, they're getting, if they're not getting the reps on the ice, they're at least getting the visual through video. So they're ready to go each and every game. How funny I asked Dean this on the on the Zoom today, Brett. But uh, how just funny is it that it always seems, no matter what happens, if you repair one facet of your game, another one starts to break away. And so right away, I'm talking about the power play. Uh, yeah. You guys are top in the league in the month of April. You've been absolutely on fire. It's winning you games finally, yeah. and now your five on five play has taken a little bit of a slip here the last month. Isn't it crazy how that works? It is unbelievable, and it's just it's one of those things that when I got into coaching, some of the advice that I got was that you can't put out all the fires at once. You got to <laughs> pick a fire and you got to work on that one and put that one out, but then something else is going to pop up somewhere else in a, in a different room or in a different part of the uh, property. Like it's just, uh, and that's, yeah, you, you, you hope that everything is firing on, on all cylinders, especially this time of year, especially these next few weeks, that's the goal to make sure all facets of our game are, are going in the right, direction but inevitably there's always something you have to work on and and obviously you mentioned you know that some really obvious ones for our team this season um but as a coach too i think it's probably in our nature a bit that that we're always almost looking for something to work on um, mm -hmm. that's just kind of uh ingrained in our dna as coaches Yep. And you mentioned the fire. I mean, the power play, as you know, Brett was a, probably an inferno early this year. And yeah. but what's so strange about that is that if you think about those first couple games on that West Coast trip to start the season in L.A., I mean, you you probably outchanced, uh, yeah. you know, probably 10, 12 scoring chances a game, just couldn't put it in the net. Then eventually mm -hmm. it compounded itself and probably players start pressing a little bit. How did you guys go about as a coaching staff fixing the power play? Because uh, I'm sure it even created a lot of internal stress for you guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's there's no doubt. We spent a lot of time on it in our coach's office and, and uh, you know, full credit to the players that they really stuck with it. And they really, they really, you know, it, it was tough there. So some games where, as you mentioned, we'd go, I remember a couple games, I think we were in Arizona early on the year. I think we had eight scoring chances. The first game on the power play, maybe even nine, the next game on the power play, 17 and two games. And we didn't have a goal on it. And, yeah. and, and, you know, the players just stuck with it. And then, Maybe the next game, we had a couple games where we couldn't even get the puck on, on the power play. We, we'd have three or four power play chances. We couldn't even get into the zone and get set up. But obviously there was frustration, but the players stuck with it. And, and as a coaching staff, we continued to work on things and tinker with things. And it's just interesting how it works out that those frustrations and it not working early on in the year has probably led us to try different things and try different personnel. And then now we have arrived and stayed with pretty much the same personnel the last 10 or 12 games. And now it seems to be working with both units. 
Um, obviously, it's always going to be work in progress and always something that we're going to evaluate on a daily basis. But um, maybe those early season struggles actually helped, though they definitely helped to get us to where we are today. No doubt about that. I mean, you know, the guy that has been on fire is Kaprizov on the power play, eight power play goals now near the top of the league in that category. You guys start him in the bumper position. Has there been any uh, tweaks lately that have gotten him on fire? Well, yeah, he's he's just an elite bumper. We could see that all season. And even at the start of the year, when things weren't going well on the power play, sometimes we did move him to the flank, just trying to get something going for it. So it's nice to have him in that position where he is so comfortable. And it, with him, really, just he's got that elite hockey IQ that, that we really give him a lot of free reign there. You know, he's not, even though he's positioned in that bumper position you'll see him behind the net sometimes you'll see him going over the flank sometimes he'll be low near the net at times he'll be higher at times and I, I think I do think that some being familiar with some of the personnel that that's been together for a few games has definitely helped because you can see there's there's a lot of those those quick plays into him now that seem to be uh, developing more now than they did early on in the season and the, the second power play unit, as you mentioned, both have been uh, nearly as good. And how much does Marcus Johansson's return from his injury and return to playing well really help that unit? Because it does seem like Zuccarello and Johansson on that unit have been, uh, you know, really superb chemistry lately. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And, and um, Jojo is just the great thing about him, too, is that he can play really anywhere on the power play. Right now, we have him at the net front and down on the goal line where he's very, very good. He's also spent some time on the flank, which where he's very, very good as well. So, um, and he's also great on entry. So you make a really good point in that he is a big piece on that unit and uh, they've been very dangerous and have produced for us uh, um, lately here. Uh, Brett, you mentioned, uh, he, he, you joked that uh, that you were the definition of a journeyman. And again, just looking at your elite prospects, I mean, you've played so many different places and, and eventually you make it and you become an NHL regular. How, how proud are you and, and how difficult was it early in your career to kind of have that, as coaches like to, th- to say, that stick-to-itiveness, uh, to, to yeah. stick with it and, and not just say, you know what, it's just not going to happen. Maybe I'll just go now to Europe or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was very close uh, before I signed with uh, Chicago and I spent my first year of my contract with Chicago in the minors in Norfolk. I was very close to going to Germany, actually, and was uh, contemplating a couple of places to, to play there. And, and um, But yeah, I'm, I'm very, very proud of, of the playing career that I was able to, to etch out. And, and I'm proud of the time I spent in the NHL, but I'm just as proud of my eight years in Europe after the NHL, being able to to continue to play and play at a high level and, and share it with, with my family over in, in three different cities in, in Europe. And, and I, I think that's, um, again, something that, that I take pride in is, is, is do sticking to things and, and, and really being trying to be mentally tough. And, and, and I think that helped me. I played five full years of junior. And, and I also think that part of the reason why I was able to play for a long time is because I had to learn to play every single role on a team. I, I was a more of a scorer in junior, but when I came to the American hockey league, I, I had to learn how to check back. I had to learn how to play uh, both wing and center. I had to be a, a top penalty killer. And, and I think ultimately that is why I was able to play for all those years. And yeah, I remember, I mean, you were so fast and uh, you were such a great penalty killer. And I joked last week with, uh, with, uh, with uh, Alex Tangay, like, how did you become the penalty 
the power play coach <laughs> down in Iowa and he became the penalty kill coach. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty funny, right? It just, uh, it's, it's amazing how timing of things, right. Um, but I, I think, and it was great working with Alex in that, that we were able to bounce so many questions off of each mm-hmm. other and, and really work, uh, as, a, as a, uh, tandem. And, and that's the great thing about being on really good coaching staffs is that whoever's coaching the power play, whoever's coaching the penalty kill, you're going to work together on every aspect of it. And obviously he's got a wealth of knowledge in all areas of the game, definitely including the power play, which he was uh, absolutely fantastic. on. How, how much do you think your uh, journey really helps you relate to players? I mean, you, you see it in Iowa. I mean, players get frustrated. They get impatient. They expect that they should be in the NHL right mm-hmm. away. I'm sure even Matt Boldy's feeling that right now. Like, all right, I'm tearing it up in Iowa. When am I getting the call? Yeah. How, how, how does that, uh, you know, relationship that you've had with these players, you know, manifest itself from what you went through as a player? Yeah, it's absolutely huge. I, I think it's, it's something that, that I felt when I got into coaching and that I could really bring um, to these players is that I have experienced everything they've been through. I've been, I've had the success at the NHL level. I've been sent down. I've been on waivers. I've had success at the AHL level and not been called up and gone through that frustration. Mm-hmm. And there's just, there's so many different elements. And, and the, the thing to remember, especially about most of the young players in the American hockey league is they're, they're young people first. They're going through these experiences the first time they've, first time they've had money it's the first time they've had you know really big success on possibly a national stage and so um me being able to have lived those experiences i I think uh really lends itself to for me to help these young men and and um and it's it's quite frankly the thing that i probably enjoy the most about coaching at, at all levels is is just working with the players each and every day and seeing those positive habits develop seeing them become professionals and then ultimately hopefully have success in a very long career. I'm doing a, a big feature uh, early next week, uh, a real heartwarming story on Nico Sturm and his relationship with uh, with his girlfriend and, and things like that. And the one thing that he was telling me was that how lonely he was last year in Iowa, mm-hmm. going home to, a, you know, he's fresh off out of college from Germany, going home during, leaving the rink during tough times, winding up in an apartment all alone and how that just wasn't good for his mental health. How, how much, you know, you sort of alluded it there that these guys are on their own for the first time. How proud are you of the player that that Nico's become in this first year in the NHL, considering that last year he might've had a tough adjustment to life and play in the AHL. No, Nico's just, he's been fantastic. Really just, um, and Nico's, he's so mature and he's such a professional and he, he works so hard, right? he, he dots every I and crosses every T getting prepared for a practice for every game. And, and, and so he has earned everything that he, that he has gotten, that he is going to get. But yeah, from a, it's, that's the thing is the adjustment to pro hockey when they're on the own the first time they have to cook for themselves. You know, his family is, is a long ways away. And, and, and so these challenges that these young men go through and, and, and Nico, like most players, when they come to the American Hockey League and they've had success in college or junior, it's about 20 games. It's about 20 games it takes them to really adjust to it. And whether it's because, like you said, maybe they think they should be in the NHL, maybe they don't respect the league as much as they should, it is a really good league. And it always takes about 15 to 20 games, and he was no different. And then his game just took off. And, and, and now to see him this year come in and had a real solid start and then maybe 
there was a bit of a dip in his play. And now lately he's, you know, he had a healthy scratch there and then, and then now he's just come back and just been fantastic. And the word we kind of use for him is he's such a disruptive player for the other team. He just seems mm-hmm. to always be in there and he's, he's in on the four check and he's just disrupting things. And, and he's been at his very best, uh, in that, uh, in, in these last few weeks. So very, very happy for him. Do, do you think, uh, you know, I know that obviously it had to be tough for him uh, being taken out of the lineup there. I think it was three mm-hmm. out of five games. Uh, I know that uh, it was confusing to a lot of fans. How confused was, was Nico and how good was it to have the relationship that you two have there to maybe explain, one, explain it to him, but two, make him understand that as a young player, um, you know, sometimes it's good to take a deep breath. Yep. Sometimes it's good to, to, especially when you're not practicing, as you mentioned, to spend yep. extra time on the ice with the assistant coaches, things like that. Yeah, no, and it's, um, it definitely did help. And, you know, Dean is just an unbelievable communicator with these players. So he, he obviously communicated it very clearly to, to, uh, Nico that he knew what he needed to do to, to, um, be a real positive player for us. And obviously that's, that, that's happened, but no, definitely having that relationship with him helps. And when we're working with him, cause that's a, it's a hard thing when you've been in the lineup each and every game. And then now you're out there with the taxi squad. That's, that's mm-hmm. not an easy adjustment for players and, and that definitely hurts their pride. So as an assistant coach, that's a huge role is to make it that, okay, today we're going to get our work done, but we're also going to have fun with it. And, and you know, nobody's, nobody's down on you on a long-term type of plan. It's just, this is a little bit of a blip. And you're going to be better coming out of it. And, and, um, we're going to have some good days of work here. And, and obviously with, with Nico, you never need to worry about his work ethic. And, and it's, it's certainly paid off for him here lately. Uh, another, another thing in terms of a maturation as an assistant coach, Brett, I'm sure is taking, you know, significant players off the power play. And I'm sure mm-hmm. that's something that you've also learned from Dean here is, you know, mm-hmm. it's not easy to take a Zach Parisi off the power play when he's what nine goals from the Minnesota record and had 12 last year. Um, you know, how, one, how difficult of a decision was that? And two, you know, how does, again, how, how, how much do you learn as an assistant? It's a little different than taking Parisi off than say a minor league player, like a Sokolov or somebody. Yeah, no, it's uh, i I mean, I've learned so much. It's uh, every day is just a huge, education uh, for myself and and so lucky to have a staff like we have with Dean's leadership and then he's just such a collaborative staff and everyone has a voice and and um so that that's been great and so that's that's the other thing is every you asked about how difficult of a decision it was and uh, regarding some of the uh, power play personnel and we talk about it a lot at, at length for, for hours uh, as a staff and um it's something that we definitely don't take take lightly. And then um, at the end of the day, that the the, um, the biggest thing is to always just to be honest with with the players, and and that's what you have to be as a coach and as a staff. And and um, so that's ultimately what, what we are, what our goal always is to do. Um, how much do you keep one eye on Iowa? I mean, is there still a party down there? I got a when I texted when I. Uh, uh, tweeted today that uh, that you were coming on. I got immediately got a text from Sam Annis, all excited to listen to the podcast. So obviously you have really good relationships with the guys down there. Obviously Sam's no longer there. Yeah. Um, but but how? I mean, you know, how, is it hard to sort of you know not care about what's going on down there? Oh, I'm always going to care. Yeah, and especially yeah. since it's you know it's a we're in the same or we're always we're pulling for the same thing. Both teams, right? We're uh, we want them to do well and all those players to develop and. We're all pulling in the same 
direction. So, um, no, I always keep, keep an eye on them and, uh, talk to the staff down there quite a bit, at least once a week. And, um, yeah, always, always pulling for them and, and try to keep in as much contact as, as we can. And we'll even, we'll put on their games in our coach's office if we're waiting to, to start our, our game and, uh, we'll watch that. So always have an eye on, on Iowa and it's great to see them doing so well lately. Uh, Brett, any under the radar Iowa players that maybe wild fans should really keep an eye on that, that you think will one day be playing regularly up here? Well, one player that I think's had a very good year and I, you said it already under the radar would be, um, Drew. Uh, I thought he's played very well mm-hmm. there every time I watched him, Damien Drew. I, I, I think, um, uh, Connor Dewar is probably a player that people are maybe starting to hear a bit about, um, up here being that he's, and you got to call up to the, to the taxi squad. And, and obviously he's had a real good year down there. And I look at Damien Drew as maybe he's a year behind Connor Dewar and really he is, he's one year younger. It's his first year in pro. Uh, it's Connor's second year, but I think those are probably two players that they're they're good prospects and they're good, smart, solid players that maybe you haven't heard too much about. But um, they've probably got a pretty good future uh, with the Wild organization if they continue to develop the way they have. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, Brett, before we get to uh, Twitter questions, I did want to ask you a little bit about yourself. You mentioned your family, first of all. Uh, t- tell us about them. And and are they with you right now? Or if they're not, uh, how tough is that? Yeah, so my, my wife, Brenna, and uh, 14-year-old daughter, Darian, 9-year-old boy, Nixon, and 5-year-old boy, Nash, they are currently in Iowa still, just with mm. the timing of my promotion in late August. They were just about to start school down there. And then we didn't know when the season would start here so it just we decided to stay down there and then i would just come up here by myself whenever the season started so we had a great three or four months down there and then um yeah but it's been it's been very tough not having them here every single day um i really miss them they've come up for a few visits which has been great um they're doing very very well and the kids are having a great year in school and and the kids sports have all all been going and all of their activities and um they are the most important thing to me i wouldn't be able to have played all those places and be where i am now coaching here if if not for an amazingly understanding wife and uh <laughs> amazing kids because they yeah. uh they're as much a part of this crazy hockey journey as as i am that's for sure but are, are you uh are you living with somebody now because i swear to god i recognize those blinds behind you there you go so mike greenlay yeah, that's exactly uh, what I thought. I couldn't nice. pin it. There I could go. not figure out yeah. where that was. There and I go. knew I recognized it. So, um, yeah, <laughs> Bob Woods and him are, are close. And uh, he had a little basement suite open. So I just yeah. went to this for this season. It's worked out great. That's awesome. Good I mean, it's just it's just so funny. It's the reporter in me. I'm like, God, yeah. I know hey. I've seen that before. So I've been in that basement a couple of times. A couple of poker tournaments, things like yeah. that. Awesome. Um, 
Um, tell us a little bit about where you're from. And, uh, man, uh, you know, one of the most uh, fun things that I did when I was talking to you and Tangay before last year's training yep. camp was talk about your, uh, you in Kelowna and, and how entrenched you are into that community and a couple of really neat businesses that you own there. Yeah. So I'm originally actually from Vancouver Island, way off the West coast of Canada. And then I played in my junior hockey in Kelowna for the Rockets and my wife Brenna's from there and she's got a, a, a big family and they've actually been in the hospitality industry for 30 to 40 years. They owned, uh, they owned hotels all over Western Canada and one of note, the hotel El Dorado, beautiful boutique hotel on Okanagan Lake. They owned for 30 years and they, they sold that uh, seven years ago and started some other businesses. Uh, one of note, uh, brewery a 400 seat uh brewery and eatery in uh downtown Kelowna called bna and and we actually expanded it um a few years ago and now has six bowling lanes in it and uh my wife and i are wow. part of the owners of that and then we opened up a a, a second location a, a different concept called skinny dukes and um it's, <laughs> it's been just great to be uh a, a part of this business which is so different from hockey and uh obviously i don't do much other than than try and taste the beer and taste the food but uh it's always great when we go back to Kelowna to go in and check out those places yeah and cut the checks i'm sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> how much um how much has the pandemic hurt that i was talking to judd brackett uh you know three or four months ago maybe five months ago on on this podcast and he owns a couple restaurants in cape cod with his brother yeah. and he was having a tough time obviously with those restaurants it's, i've and lately i've seen up in canada it's just yeah. it feels like everything's shut down again yeah no it's obviously hurt it uh it was shut for geez it was at least a month maybe six weeks last spring and and our, our businesses have they were they were doing very very well before the pandemic um they're still doing fine they're doing well obviously we're not getting the profits we saw before but uh everybody's doing well and 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 just kind of waiting hoping for summer to come and the restrictions to lift but um business is fine uh considering it's a pandemic but looking forward to definitely uh, better times ahead like everyone right now what what else do you enjoy doing i hope you don't uh you don't you're not gutsy enough to pull out your wallet on the golf course with Dean Evison. Yeah, no, I, I like to golf a bit, not too much. <laughs> um, I haven't actually got out yet with uh, the other members of the staff, but I definitely look forward to that. But uh, as I mentioned with, with kids at the age that my kids are at, when I'm at home, we're, we're pretty busy uh, going from one activity to another. I, I always joked that, um, you know, in the off season and during the pandemic, actually I was, uh, I was a full-time chauffeur and youth sports coach. So that spends, uh, I've got a lot of time doing, doing, doing that. And, um, really lucky in, in the off season. And when we go back to Kelowna, the beautiful lake there and very similar to the lifestyle here in Minnesota, I really like to get out on the paddle boards and that's something that I like to do. So I look forward to doing that here on, uh, one of the 10,000 lakes. Awesome. Uh, let me throw out some Twitter questions yet, Brett. Uh, Cody has a really fun one. He goes, are you worried that Dean Evison will tackle one of the coaches if you guys win a playoff game? And he's talking about opening night when he yeah. just annihilated Tony DaCosta. I'm in yeah. LA the other day, Brett, and I watched him, uh, I mean, punch in the groin, Matt Benz, as he came <laughs> out for warmups. I don't know if you've ever yeah. seen him do that, but uh, Dean could get yeah. a little tense back there. No, the answer to that question is yes. And if you watch, if you watch our bench now, when we score a goal, 
Darby Hendrickson, when he turns to Dean, he has both fists up. Like he's ready. <laughs> he's ready for anything. Like he doesn't know what's coming his way. So he he's ready for anything. So, uh, yeah, which, uh, yeah, we're, we're always on guard with, uh, with Dean. He's very intense. Yeah. Which is great. People people don't realize how tough of a hockey player he was. I mean, he was a great yeah. junior scorer, but when he mm-hmm. became, you know, when he yeah. moved to professional, I mean, he became a tough, hard nosed player. Yeah, he's. Uh, I've watched some of his fights, and he didn't care how big the guy was. He was going to go with him, and uh, no, extremely tough guy and uh, hard nosed player for sure. Yeah, even virtually, when I ask a question, that I could I could tell right away if he doesn't like it because he clenches yeah. his neck. I'm just yeah. like honestly yeah. holding my breath and yeah. thinking that we have a camera between us and not yeah. not in person. Um, let's see. Uh, Kendra has a good question. How are opposing coaches trying to match up against Wild uh, forwards? This is you know kind of the first year that you've had multiple really threats on different. Uh, different lines, and then you have the Erickson X shutdown line that uh, seems to spend a lot of time in the offensive zone. How do you find that things have changed this season? Yeah, great, great question. Obviously, the X line presents a real matchup challenge for the uh, opposition teams. It's a real luxury for us to have a, a line like that. It is so good at, at both ends and really holds the puck. And, and so we, quite often we'll see the other team, will they'll either try to go with their kind of heaviest line, maybe defensive line um, against them. Um, obviously at home, we're able to get the luxury of getting them against the, uh, against usually the other team's top offensive line. But um, that obviously presents a real challenge for the other teams. And then, and then obviously everyone's worried about the, the Rask line um, you know, with Kirill and, and, and mm-hmm. Zuki and for, for good reason. So that, that gives us some options. And then obviously we feel that the Hartman line can play against anyone and a very, very good line that presents both. They're a tough matchup line too, right? Because, um, you know, Hartsey and a very good defensive centerman and, and very responsible wingers. So as a result, they can play against other teams' top lines, but they're obviously very, very dangerous with, with Johansson and Kevin Fiala on those wings. So that really helps. And then, uh, whatever number you want to call the line, the, the Sturm line has just been outstanding. And, mm-hmm. and again, a very defensively responsible line. So um, we're very lucky in that in a perfect world, we want to get that Eck line against the other team's top offensive line. But if they want to move things around, we have uh, um, some other options for sure. Doesn't it feel like the Joe, like we talked about Johansson, but doesn't it feel like that really has been the game changer for a guy like even Fiala? Um, you know, it, it just felt like Fiala because of the chemistry that Zuccarello and Kaprizov had was mm-hmm. sort of like a lost soldier this year. Mm-hmm. And now Johansson's come on and they just seem to, uh, you know, work together perfectly. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a great point. That's a, you know, the second time you brought him up and rightfully so. And, and really, uh, the other members of the staff knew him very well. They, they'd coached him before and I didn't know him real well. And, and, and he didn't have the start. I'm sure that he really maybe wanted to have to this season. And then since he's come back every single game, I gain more and more appreciation for him. And I just watch him and I'm, man, is he a good solid hockey player and a mm-hmm. big time contributor for us? One of those guys that yes, he gets on, on the score sheet plenty, but even when he's not, the other things that he does are just huge for our team and a really important piece. And yeah, as you mentioned, the, the puzzle seemed to start to fit there when uh, puzzle pieces really started to fit together when, when he came back. 
No doubt about it. Uh, Kyler has a good question. This is almost like a job interview question. Uh, he goes, without uh, using any specific names, what do you what do you tell a prospect that clearly has talent but just can't seem to handle or, or want to do what's necessary to become a, prospe- a professional? And, you know, at what point does the decision just get made to go buy a kid? And it's a good point because, you know, the, lives aren't, you know, indefinite down in the AHL. There's constantly every year this cycle of new prospects coming in. So yeah. if you don't get your act together, you could wind up, you know, you can go from two on the depth chart to six on the depth chart in one cycle yeah no it's and that's that's the real job and the test down there with for some of those those young men as the coach down there is trying to get it through them and explain just that to them that right now you're the prospect and you're getting you're going to get these opportunities but that goes away pretty quick and you've got to take those opportunities when they're there yes you have to be patient but you also have to see progression and that's really important. And, and um, Brad Bombardier and his staff do a great job developing those players and getting in touch with them right from the draft on or from when they've signed on. So that's a big part of, of their role as well. But then when you're with them every single day down in Iowa as a coach, that's a, it's an important thing to get through to them. And, and um, obviously uh, there's players that sometimes it's, they get one year and one opportunity and, and, Someone else comes in and takes their job, and, and it's it's just that that simple. That they're, it seems like having you know two teams, kind of full teams of of players, seems like a, quite a few spots, but those get filled up pretty quickly. And and there's a lot of good players all over the world right now that are all all looking to be in one of these two leagues. No doubt about it. A couple more minutes with uh with Brett. Um, Roger, by the way, uh, wants me to send his best and tell you how much you're missed in Iowa. Um, down down there, he's an Iowa Wild fan. Dylan uh, says, how important is it for a young prospect to get to to start in the AHL before making the switch? Kind of pay his dues. Very important. Very very important. There's there's so few that can go straight to the National League, both as as people and as players. And I I think. And it's even, even for the top guys, I, I think maybe a couple weeks in the AHL is, is not going to hurt them just from a, to realize one, how many great players there are that don't get to the national hockey league and two, just so that they can learn how to be a pro. And I, I just think it's a very, very important step. Obviously there's certain players that, that don't need to go there. Their NHL teams need them right, uh, right off the bat. And then there's certain players like, uh, Kirill that have played in the KHL for many, many years and stuff. So they've, they put in their time in, in the pro leagues and obviously they don't need to go to the American hockey league, but mm-hmm. it's just a, a huge step and, and it, it can only help players in the long run. And, and then just basically, obviously to, to be able to respect what those players do in the American hockey league as well. And, and then just on a basic level to realize how well you get treated in the national hockey league. In Iowa, it is unbelievable how well the players and the staff get treated there. It's just first class, but it's still not the National Hockey League. It's not Ritz Carlton's and, and <laughs> things of that nature and pri- private planes. So, um, very important to to realize how lucky we are in, in the National Hockey League the way we get treated. A lot of video by the head coach also down there. <laughs> yeah, and, there uh, can be some I, some longer meetings down there. Yeah, yeah. I uh, when I was down there a couple years ago, uh, watching. Um, 
I came down before the playoffs and Philip Johansson was down there and Brandon Duhame just got in from from uh, signing with Providence College and they were getting bagged by Tim Harvey. And I was like, I bet these guys kind of wish they didn't get on that plane yeah. uh, right off the hop. Um, Ton Squad asks, this is not a question that obviously is your decision, but he, he asks, how soon will Boldy join the Wild? But it is fair to say that that he's going to have to be a little more patient, right? I mean, one, you're completely healthy. You're on fire. Yeah. Uh, you can't even get Bukestead in the lineup yeah. right now. You guys are so healthy. So at a minimum, I mean, right now, knock on wood that you remain healthy, he probably will have to wait until the playoffs or at least later in the in the regular season, right? Yeah, I mean, you've you've already uh, – you mentioned yeah. we've got healthy bodies and everything, but what he's doing is, is the thing to do. If you want to get mm-hmm. in, it's just play the right way and, and – um, you know, as, as you mentioned, you know, Tim does an outstanding job of, of the guys, they work down there and they play with detail. And so that's, that's, you know, the way Tim, the way Tim holds people, uh, to the right standard and to a high standard there is, is only going to help, help Matt. And, and like I said, he's doing the right things to, uh, to get the right people to, to notice him. This is a great question from Tim Erickson, uh, Brett. He goes, every team goes into each game with a game plan from the expected, but when the unexpected occurs, what's the process for coaches in-game, you know, communicating on the bench when there's an injury, an illness, a penalty, mm-hmm. you know, things get pretty convoluted back there. What is that experience like? Yeah, the biggest thing is just to stay calm. And there's, mm-hmm. you know, in, and you said it as well, communicate, just talk and Yep. People go down, get injured. They got to go to the locker room for equipment, whatever it may be. You know, maybe there's weird situations during the course of a game. Stay calm, always keep a calm bench and, and just uh, keep talking through it. And, and um, again, very lucky. I talked about this earlier that Dean really, he leans on us and, and we all have a voice. So he'll kind of, he'll lean over to one of us and say, hey, what do you think? Who do you think in this mm-hmm. situation? And, and, um, and, and I remember my first year coaching with Derek Lalonde, uh, the one time I got a little bit, I was, I got a little bit ahead of myself and he said, Hey, take a minute, take a breath. There's lots of time and there's mm-hmm. actually more time than you think back there and, and, um, just make the right decision. And, and, um, so yeah, just keeping a calm bench is so very, very important and something we're, we're proud of with, with our group. Our players have been great in that this season too. And that, um, anything goes, sideways we stay calm and we just stick to it and uh, i think it's been a big part of of what we've been able to do so far yep and derek Lalonde now a stanley cup champion assistant coach under john cooper with tampa bay lightning also todd richards there as well um b steph has um can you explain a typical game on the bench how shifts are called well this that is uh usually determined before the game everybody knows their lines everybody knows who who they're playing with so um you know, Dean is back there and, and he will call usually just calls the centerman's name for the forwards, mm-hmm. the center. And then the wingers know that that means they're up. And then the players have the responsibility of, they usually call out who they're changing for. So for example, Marcus Felino is playing right wing. And so is Marcus Johansson. So Marcus Johansson will say, I got Marcus Felino. And then the players will do it that way. Bob Woods calls the defense out. And he'll he'll tell the the partners who's up, and then the players run through that same process. Okay, cool. Um, and the eye in the sky is uh, is that you and like is Darby the only one with the earpiece, or how does yes. that work? Darby has yes. the earpiece. Yeah, Darby has the earpiece, and um, and then I stand beside him, and um, yeah, so he's got the earpiece too. Uh, Freddie Shabbat 
and Jonas and TJ. Um, and they are, they're telling things. If there's maybe a possible offside call, if there's maybe a possible high stick, if there's a goalie, uh, maybe there's been some goalie in, interference, um, mm-hmm. things of, of that nature. That's what they're communicating on that headset. Um, a couple more, uh, Brett, uh, the dog father, which is my favorite Twitter name is, is it's mm-hmm. actually at, at belly rubs for pups. I just think it's so funny. Uh, what do, uh, what do you talk about as coaches when you decide which goalie to go with? Is I mean, is that a group decision or is that just pretty much Freddie Shabbat saying this is what we're doing? Yeah, great, great question. No, it's it's a group. We collaborate on everything. Of course, Freddie's voice in that discussion would carry a lot of weight. Of course, Dean's voice obviously carries uh, the most weight in all uh, discussions discussions in the coach's office but freddie's opinion is very very important in, in that one and f- things that we factor into it is of course recent performance um rest is huge um that's huge uh making sure that uh, the goalie that's in there is is rested and and um and also sometimes not a lot of times but sometimes it'll be uh past performance against uh certain uh players or against a certain team obviously um that will may factor into the decision as well uh two more questions here brett one's a hard one the other one's a softball soft (laughs) ones are my specialty the hard ones this is we rely on the readers to ask this one uh here's a tough one he goes why are you guys not trying sturm with Kirill and zuccarello oh good good (laughs) well probably because um rask has done such a good job there is for one um and because Sturm has done such a good job where he's been slotted in our lineup. So that one, um, yeah, great question. Um, and just to give you a little lens into the coach's office, we, we talk about all those different scenarios. So all sorts of different combinations. And, um, so certainly something that's been talked about as well as many other, um, possible line, um, combos and different, players uh different uh playing with each other but um that would be the answer to that one is um Mm -hmm. we're we're happy with how like we mentioned earlier the way the the pieces are fitting in the puzzle uh last twitter question uh dylan asks i got a buddy who goes to school in iowa and wants to know uh the best steakhouse to go to in des moines wow there's a couple of good ones uh fleming's really good steakhouse by jordan creek Um, i just went to fleming's the other day in la very good. That's a LA good live. one. Yeah. Uh, 801 Steakhouse downtown. Des Moines is really good. Iowa Wild always has a uh, team meal there before the season starts. Um, that's a really good one. And there's a really good one in Waukee called Rube's. Brad Bombardier put me onto it. Rube's Steakhouse where you actually, actually, I'm not sure if you can do it now, but pre-pandemic, you would you would uh, order your table and then they would bring you your steak you would cook your own steak on the big, wow. on the big grills. So, uh, it's pretty kind of cool experience. So Rube Steakhouse in Milwaukee. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, last couple for you, Brett, uh, one, the taxi squad, what is, what is it like for these guys? Like I ran into them at the team hotel in Arizona the other day, I, I ran into Dakota Mermis and Cromerosa and Kyle Rowe and those guys. And, yeah. you know, it's just, it, they're part of the team, but they're not part of the team. And, you know, a lot of these guys, like you know, especially a guy like Dakota who played wealthy this year. I mean, his, you know, I, I was thinking like watching him, like, could his career be affected because he didn't get a lot of games this year? How, how what's it been like for these guys? Yeah. A, a huge challenge for, for those guys. I mean, um, you mentioned it, I'm, I'm sure it's something that weighs on them. Um, but they are a part of our team. They, they really are. And, and we bring them into all the team, uh, 
meetings and uh, there, and, but the, this group has just been incredible. Um, what a challenge for them to go every single day. And they look at the lineup, right? They, they know if they have a chance to go in and, and when they, every one of them, when, they, when they've come in, they've done great and they've helped us win hockey games, which is a real credit to those guys, but um, certainly more a mental challenge than anything for them. Um, and we always try to switch it up. Uh, Darby and I kind of alternate days as to who runs it. Uh, Woodsy jumps in and runs one uh, once in a while as well. Um, and, and so we just try to keep it fresh and, and, but we also, they also still have to put the work in. So they're ready to go and they do every single day. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely been a big challenge for them and, and, and uh, not being able to play as many games as I'm sure they would like. And, um, but I can tell you, we, we sure appreciate everything they put into the team this season. Is there any doubt that Darby, by the way, could play a regular shift in the NHL tomorrow? Not for me. Not yeah. for me. Not not with those <laughs> biceps. That's for sure. <laughs> you, could you imagine him running into like a like yeah. one of the forwards uh, now on the other team? And that guy uh, is massive. Yeah. Um, uh, sure. Last yeah. question for you, Brett. Uh, you know, playoffs right around the corner. How do you keep the team from getting complacent these last nine games and really tune up for what now is suddenly looking more and more like you uh, guys could be playing your old Avalanche in the first yeah. round? Yeah. No. It's um, for us. It's it's it, we've and I know everybody says it, but. but Everything we go game by game, our team, and that is we've never once talked about standings with our team. We've never once talked about if we're playing a team two or three straight games. We are just game by game. So really, our process and our communication in our locker room doesn't change. It's just we want to get win our game tomorrow night. That's it. That's all that it boils down to. Very, very simple. So that just doesn't change for us. And as we talked about earlier, it's there always seems to be something that you want to work on. And so we're obviously very happy with our season to this point. We just want to keep winning games. So it doesn't really matter where we sit in the standings, what the playoffs say. We just want to keep winning hockey games and keep playing the right way and keep building. And and um, so really from that perspective, kind of the process we've, we've used all season, that's really going to, going to help us here these last few weeks before playoffs. Well, hey, Brett, um, you know, really appreciate the time this morning. I, I, I just wanted to give uh, Wild fans an introduction to you. I mean, they see you behind the bench now that fans are allowed in the building. They go, like, Who th- I know that guy, that guy, but who's that guy? Um, so, but uh, I, as I told Wild fans that they would really enjoy uh, this podcast, uh, it was great talking to you, great talking hockey, great talking about your life. I can't wait to one day get to Kelowna and go check out your establishments as well. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Mike. That was great. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. 
thanks as always to Brett uh, McLean for joining. And if you have aren't a subscriber, make sure you subscribe. Theathletic.com slash straight from the source. Not only get you in for a discount before the most important time of the year, which is the wild postseason, but great podcasts throughout our platform. Stan Bowman, the general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks and also the 2022 U.S. Olympic team with his sidekick, Billy Guerin. He joined Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun this week on Two Men Advantage of the Athletic Hockey Show and Craig Conroy, the assistant GM of the Calgary Flames, uh, just a former great, great uh, hard news player as well, spends the full 60 with Craig Custance this week on The Athletic. As I mentioned, let's do a mini q and I'm going to go right off of Twitter this time. Usually I copy and paste, uh, but got uh, the day got away from me, so I'll do it right away. Um, Jordan Duran goes, your prediction, Russo, do the Wild let off the gas like years past, or do they keep the pedal to the metal and ride into the playoffs on top of their game? You know, it's really interesting because the Wild Wild have gone and they've won now seven in a row, but they've played pretty much seven cupcakes throughout that process. Um, now that things are going to get tough. I mean, you have this, you have the St. Louis Blues who are motivated to make the playoffs. I think they've got the inside track, especially uh, because they seem to be playing well, coming off a couple big wins against Colorado. So I think that the Wild playing teams like St. Louis and playing teams like Vegas, they're going to force the Wild uh, to keep their foot on the gas. Otherwise, this thing could get uh, ugly uh, it, with these motivated teams. The other thing is that right now, the Wild are playing the Avalanche in the first round of the playoffs. And I think if you put your hand on the Bible, if any Wild fan did, Wild player did that, they would even say that they'd rather play Vegas in the first round, a team they're 10-2-2 all-time against 4-1-1 one, one this year. Compared to Colorado, who has had their number all year long, five and three, um, inc- including a couple dominations. So those two games against Vegas uh, in early May really could determine who the Wild meet in the first round. So I think the Wild want to be playing their best. So I, I have a lot of faith in this team. I think they're going to do well. Um, also, Jordan asks, how, uh, how many playoff series clinching goals does Krill need to beat Jason Robertson for the uh, for the Calder? Well, the good news is, is that the Calder voting happens before the postseason. And I still think that it made for a fun topic the other day is Kirill gave me crap today called it clickbait um it, uh, but the reality is is that while those may, those were fun stories to write this week on Kirill versus uh, Jason Robertson I think that majority of voters if they had their ballots in their box right this second they would vote for Kuprisov as the Calder Trophy winner I don't think there's anything a doubt any doubt about it this guy is just uh, carrying this wild team right now he's been dominant his usage is like is unlike uh, uh Jason Robertson as well and he just uh, you know a case can be made that he's the Hart Trophy winner, not just uh, the Calder winner. Um, let's see. Jeremy says, if I understand correctly, the AHL does not have a postseason this year. Could May 15th, uh, d- come May 15th, does the entire roster come to St. Paul to join the taxi squad? It's a good question. I mean, technically, there is a postseason. They just haven't announced it yet. There's probably going to be in-division postseasons. Uh, so the, the Iowa Wild should continue past uh, May, what, 9th is when their season ends. But the reality is, is that for the taxi squad, I think they will bring a lot of guys up, including um, Matt Boldy as well. Um Let's see. Um, Steve uh, Hunt asks, uh, I got to see Boldy in person Saturday. How excited are they Are they to get him in St. Paul? And is there a, any chance that uh, he will play here yet this year? Sorry for my convoluted reading of these questions, by the way. This is why I try to read things before. Um, with Boldy, I mean, the big thing is, is that, look, he's tearing up Iowa. But right now, the Wild have won seven in a row. They're healthy. They can't even get Bukestad in the lineup. So I just don't think there's any reason to bring him up. Uh, and and take somebody that doesn't deserve to be out of out of the lineup out of the lineup right now. So I think at the end of the year they will bring him up and they'll use him and practice him and maybe eventually play him in the playoffs if they need him. But right now there's no reason to. And if all of a sudden you brought Bo- 
moldy up and you took a player out of the lineup that didn't deserve to be, the only thing that does is put the kid in an awkward position and create animosity potentially in the locker room. So I just don't see any reason why you need to bring him up right now. Let him play in Iowa. It's not the worst thing in the world to just continue and and play well down there and get a taste. And then eventually if they need him, they need him. But right now, there's just no reason to just pull a guy from the lineup. Now, with four or five games in the season, if the Wilds are pretty much locked on who they're going to play, and maybe there are guys that, that Dean Evison and the coaching staff want to get out of the lineup to to rest. Maybe you bring them up. But even that would be sort of a bad message to the Cramorosas and the Kyle Rouse of the world and the Luke Johnsons who are working their butt off all year long on the taxi squad to just bring this kid up. But we'll see. I mean, that's how I feel right now. A lot could change in the next uh, nine days. Josh asks uh, Jeff and myself to do a Judd Brackett podcast soon. Uh, that's something I will ask as we get closer to the draft. We did one, one right before the draft last year with Judd Brackett, and it was outstanding. Uh, so if you didn't hear that one, just go back into the archives, whether you're listening on Apple, Spotify, or whatever, or in the Athletic app or on the Athletic website. If you go back to October, you will find a Judd Brackett or maybe late September a Judd Brackett podcast as well. Um, Bill asks, uh, talks about the Erickson Eck AAV. Um, that is something that we will be writing more about in the coming days, actually, in The Athletic. Um, but he also asks, like, you know, do you see Garen going out and getting um, a big player uh, this offseason for uh, to replace or, or to to get a number one center in here? And, uh, you know, the one thing is I, I, I will say is that the goal right now is to sign uh, Erickson Eck, sign Kaprizov, sign Fiala. And then count the dollars and cents, see who you lose in expansion, and then in free agency, then you react. And maybe they won't have enough money to go get an appreciable center in here, and they've got to wait for a Rossi or one of their minor league guys. Um, you know, Victor Rast does have another year. Maybe they bide time there uh, with him as well. So um, I, I don't, I can't say right now that the Wild are just going to go and swing and, and hit a home run for a number one center. You know, I did a big story on Rossi today, as I mentioned at the start of this podcast, um, and he is convinced that he's going to be on this team uh, to start next year. So that's uh, that's important as well. We'll see. As the coaching staff goes, how hard is it this year with the limited number of practices? That's also a question from Josh. We talked a bit about that with Brett McLean. I think it's difficult. I think that's one reason why their five-on-five play has uh, taken a turn for the worse here is that there's just only so much uh, coaching that you could do in video. Eventually, you need reps. And I think that's one reason why we have seen their five-on-five play uh, take a turn for the worse. But I did ask Dean Evison about that today. And he thinks it's overblown. He thinks there was a time in the last month where their five-on-play really struggled, obviously against St. Louis, against Colorado. Um, but he thinks that even though the Wild have had shot deficits the last 20 games, um, that it, that it's overblown a bit, that they're still defending hard, defending well. And I actually agree with that. I thought that in San Jose and LA, the Wild, even though they were outshot in those games pretty dramatically, uh, that the Wild played really well in those games, spent a lot of time in the offensive zone, didn't give up a lot of ton of, ton of chances in the defensive zone. And as long as that continues, it really doesn't matter if you're keeping the shots to the outside, if you're outshot every game. Um, Alex asks, you mentioned somewhere that the Wild could protect Capo Kakinen and trade a pick to Seattle to protect Talbot too. What kind of pick would that take? Um, I bet you the Wild would go as high as a second round pick for that. Um, when I mentioned the Wild wouldn't trade first, second, third round picks 
um, at the trade deadline, those were for rentals. But if you're if you are protecting Capo Kakinen, but then telling uh, telling Seattle do not take Cam Talbot, and we'll give you a second round pick. To me, that is a good trade for your picks of the future. All these picks can't always play here too. They, Wild have a lot of prospects coming. I think eventually picks have to be used in currency. And if you use a pick to get Seattle to not take a number one goaltender that has been as good as Cam Talbot is this year, to me that is worth that type of price right there. But that's just my opinion. Um, I don't know that uh, that that's a hundred percent what they will do. Um, there, uh, Glenn asks, uh, what will the new TV deal mean for each team in terms of sharing that $650 million pie? Um, does it impact the salary cap? The answer is, uh, yes, um, they do. I mean, the, the way it works is that 650 million will be divided by 32, which in my own bad math is probably about 19, 20 million a team. So that goes to them. Then there's other TV contracts up in Canada. There's the local TV deals as well. And also that does in, you know, inadvertently affect the salary cap because there's a 50, 50 split between players and owners. And they will absolutely, uh, you know, that goes into the revenue that splits. So it, you know, basically does, uh, help, help the uh, salary cap um and bill o'malley just goes uh, what happened to marco rossi and that story will be posted anytime soon in fact that noise that you just heard was uh was uh my editors telling me that the story is looking good that they're giving it a second read now to an editor that might have a lot of questions by the way so uh, i better get off this podcast uh um but this was a fun show um, appreciate Brett McLean for joining. Appreciate always uh, Jeff Domet for producing. If you are listening to this podcast, check out our comments section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. And rate and subscribe to Straight From The Source on Apple. If you aren't already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash straight from the source and you can receive a subscription for just $3.99 per month. Good day, everybody. Good day, everybody.